Life is full of great anticipation. We all know those moments where you just have those butterflies in your stomach, where you're just waiting for something incredible to happen. You know it's going to be good. For me, it was this moment right here. I was overseas for six months. It was the first time I'd ever been away from my family for that long. And the only thing I could think of was being back in my father's arms. That was the moment I was waiting for the entire time. I was just there waiting for that moment. For you, maybe you're waiting for your boyfriend to get down on one knee. Maybe you're waiting to go visit your family at Christmas. Maybe that's the moment you're waiting for. Maybe you're a little kid and it's the night of Christmas and you're just waiting, you're watching the clock to it to turn to the time that your parents said you could go wake them up so you could go and see it's under the tree. Maybe, just maybe, you might be an Oilers fan. And maybe, just maybe, you're waiting for another moment like this. Rangers having trouble changing here. McDavid, beautiful move. Right? We all have these moments that we are just waiting for, that we're just on the edge of our seat for something to happen. Whatever that moment is, we all know that feeling of pure joy of something coming to be. Whenever we look at scripture, it's filled with so many of these moments. But there's one I want to focus in on today. It's the verse you heard our Kid Leam team talking about in the video there. But before we go into that, we need to make sure that we're all on the same page here. So we're going to do a little two-minute recap. If you guys haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we're going to do a little recap here to make sure we're all on the same page. So first things first, there's a guy named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth. What you need to know about them is they're really old. That's just a, a good detail to know. And so an angel appears to them and says, hey, you know, I'm paraphrasing here a bit, says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. This is incredible news because Elizabeth was unable to bear children. So this is a big deal. So keep that in mind. Six months later, an angel appears to Mary, and she says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. Again, big deal, but Mary was an unmarried pregnant woman now. So that's kind of like, keep that in mind. So that's what you need to know. We have Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the baby that they're pregnant with is John. You may have heard of John the Baptist before. That's the baby. The baby that Mary and Joseph, or that Mary is pregnant with, is the Messiah, baby Jesus. So that's what you need to know to get caught up here. But just so you can get a bit of an image in your head here, John, who was Elizabeth's baby, was six months ahead of Jesus, who was Mary's baby. So in these verses we heard, Mary probably wasn't even looking very pregnant yet. Elizabeth was six months along, so she was definitely showing a bit. And so, this was written 2,000 years ago. A lot has changed between, between our culture, the technology, the societal norms. There's been many changes. So meaning back then for Elizabeth, an old woman who was pregnant, that would have been the talk of the town. And now for Mary, her situation in and of itself was just the definition of scandalous. She may have received threats. Joseph would have received a lot of backlash. People didn't really have the Christmas spirit in them yet. So it wasn't a very holly jolly feeling for them. It was, it was a scary time for them. And so that's my mini recap of what you need to know to get caught up to Luke 1, 39 to 45. And so remember that feeling I talked about at the beginning, that feeling of anticipation of something great coming. That's what I imagine is the feeling in the room when Mary went to visit Elizabeth. There was an electricity between them knowing that something incredible was going to happen simply because these two women were just being faithful to God. So we're gonna take the next 10 minutes here and I'm gonna talk about how Elizabeth could see that her conversation with Mary was all pointing to the sign to the Savior. So as we heard in these verses, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit as Mary's voice entered the room. 
Elizabeth here welcomed Mary with open arms. And even in this small act of that, that is overturning societal expectations. It's so honoring of Mary. Mary was the unmarried pregnant woman. She could have been expecting judgment and shame from Elizabeth, but Elizabeth knew that judgment and shame so incredibly well. See, in this culture and time, it was Elizabeth's role to bear children. And so for her to be an old woman who was not able to, that was just the definition of judgment and shame. She would have worn it like her first name. And so by Elizabeth opening up her door, opening up her heart and her home to Mary, she was overturning these social norms. Her neighbors would have been watching, expecting her to reject this lady because Mary wasn't the, the right one to accept, but Elizabeth welcomed her in. This pregnancy that was bringing shame upon Mary was now bringing joy and honor in this moment. Elizabeth is looking beyond the shamefulness that held Mary tight, and she is seeing how God's favor is resting here. So picture this. Mary's arriving at Elizabeth's home, and Elizabeth hears Mary's voice calling out to her. All the accusations and the threats and the words that were being held against them, they just silently fall away for a moment. It was a moment where these two women who were both pregnant with lives that would end up changing the world, they celebrate. They're able to be together for this moment. They talk about how blessed and honored they are that they are chosen by God. They rejoice over the plan, which includes the privilege of carrying these two babies who would change the world. And I suppose that as Mary looked into Elizabeth's eyes and as Elizabeth hugged and held Mary close, I suppose that these two finally felt free. They felt free of the gossiping whispers that would have been by everyone they walked past. They would have felt free of all the misunderstandings and suspicions of all their neighbors. They would have felt free of the worries and anxieties they would have felt tempted to let into their heart. But they also would have felt free to celebrate. They felt free to rejoice in the amazing thing that God was doing and the fact that they got to play such a prominent role in this. Mary's first words here spoken to Elizabeth bring about an immediate response from Elizabeth's unborn child, John. Acknowledging both Mary's voice and the presence of the child she was carrying, John actually leaped in her womb. And that simple act there is fulfilling a prophecy that's found in Luke 1 verse 15. John is already pointing of the one who is coming to save. When Elizabeth opens her mouth, she is beyond excited. She is just so rejoicing that Mary is here for her. Luke only gives her three verses to express her song. And in those three verses, she speaks a blessing three times. She says, blessed are you, which she's speaking to Mary. She says, blessed is the child you will bear, which she is speaking about baby Jesus. And then finally, she says, blessed is she who has believed, again, speaking about Mary. Elizabeth takes nothing of this moment here to draw attention to herself. You might expect her to at least wonder out loud what her child will play. She has a very real miracle happening in her life. But both of them have so much to celebrate, and Elizabeth is here just saying, it's all about Mary and this child she is carrying. There's only two times where, where Elizabeth is talking about herself, where she says, who am I that I am favored to be visited by the mother of the Lord? And then she says, when her baby did some gymnastics in her womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And I just wanna take a moment to pause here and think of that. That's incredible. I have three lovely nieces, and I was able to put my hand on my sister's stomach for each one of them, and not a single one of them even kicked. They didn't jump for joy at my hand being on her stomach, hearing my voice. They did none of that. John leaping for joy here is an incredible moment. And this is just pointing to the incredible power of Christ that is to come. So again, I wanna pause again for a second here. I just wanna focus on Elizabeth here. 
you have to wonder how surprised Elizabeth is gonna be when she realizes that her son is gonna grow up to be this fiery preacher. He's not gonna be preaching in the king's courts. He's not gonna be in the temple preaching every day. He's gonna be an outsider. He's gonna be wandering around the edges of society. He's gonna be preaching from tree stumps and baptizing in the muddy waters of the Jordan. But Elizabeth isn't taking this moment here to glorify herself or her soon-to-be son. She fully had the opportunity to focus in on how God had done this miracle in her, but Elizabeth sees how this moment right there shared between her and Mary is a sign to the Savior. She sees how this moment with Mary is a precious moment to treasure. She has the right perspective, the perspective we are to have. It's all about what God is doing. It's all about what God has planned, and whatever part she plays in it, she's open to it. She is ready for it. And whatever role her son John will end up filling, she is ready for that. Elizabeth shows that she is humbled and honored and joyful. And so there's this Bible scholar that named Tom Wright, and he, has, he talks about this reunion between Mary and Elizabeth, and this is what he has to say about it here. Mary's visit to Elizabeth is a wonderful human portrait of the older woman pregnant at last after hope had gone, and the younger one pregnant far sooner than she had expected. That might have been a moment of tension. Mary might have felt proud, Elizabeth perhaps resentful, but nothing of that happens. Instead, intimate details. John, three months before his birth, leaping in the womb at Mary's voice, and the Holy Spirit carrying Elizabeth into shout and praise. Underneath it all is a celebration of God. God has taken the initiative. God the Lord, the Savior, the powerful one, the holy one, the merciful one. God is the ultimate reason to celebrate. And so Mary and Elizabeth remind us of what's most important about Christmas here. It's not the family gatherings. It's not the Starbucks-themed holiday drinks, which are incredible. It's not all the 15 million white elephant gift exchanges you're gonna do. It's not the mountains of baked goods or none of that. These things are fun and they're incredible and they add so much to our enjoyment of the holiday, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is that the Lord God chose to do a wonderful thing by sending his son to be born through Mary. He is mighty, yet he came as this helpless babe. And I hope and pray that as we celebrate Christmas, that our joy will be based on the gift that got this whole thing started here. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's John 3, 16, verse 17. That's a verse that I'm sure you've heard of. We love to use this verse, but we, have we actually stopped to think in what this verse says? What you see is that God is giving so much here. God is giving his one and only son. He's giving the promise of eternal life. He's giving forgiveness, he's giving salvation, and we're the ones who receive it. We are the recipients of this. And so this Christmas, I don't want us to just hear this and go home and do nothing. I wanna call it, I wanna invite us to live like Elizabeth did in this moment. Let's take these moments to see what God has done and let's rejoice in it. Let's celebrate with those around us. Let's live a life of anticipation where we are so excited that we get to tell the next person we see about what God has done by sending his son. Let's show the love of Christ in tangible ways. Let's go and be his hands and feet. Elizabeth could have taken this moment here to focus in on herself. She could have just ignored what was happening with Mary and focused in on her. But she said, no, this is a sign to the Savior. She let her life be a sign to the Savior. Her Savior, your Savior, my Savior, the Savior. So let's not just take these words and let them sit here. But let's go let our lives be a sign to the Savior. And that's something that is worth celebrating for. So let's join with Elizabeth, let's join with what Mary did and rejoice in the one who came so that we might be saved. Let's pray. 
Father God, you are so good. We are so thankful that you sent your son so that we could experience this life here, Lord. We thank you for what you did between Mary and Elizabeth and that you included this moment in scripture for us to see the intimate details here. Father, we pray that as, as we read through the scripture, that it will sit in our hearts and that we will go out and live a life of anticipation of being able to tell others of what you have done. Father, we love you so much and we pray this in your name. Amen. Man, I'm going to be so distracted up here because of these blue lights. I think they're so sweet and everything's glowing. It's incredible. But anyway, um, let's recap a little bit about what we just listened to. Um, we just listened to Elizabeth um, praising God because of what um, God is going to do through the child that Mary is going to be born, that this Messiah is coming, that he's going to save the nation of Israel. Now it's Mary's turn um, to praise God for it. And I think it's incredible what we're about to see here and what Mary does because it's really an example of also how we should respond. And so we look at Mary's song in our passage of Luke 1, 46 to 56, and we look and we see that um, we see this praise from a humble estate, that Mary praises God, that he's looked upon his humble servant and has blessed her with this, the ability to bring forth um, the Savior to Israel. Mary praises God because she's been blessed through her, though she's no one. Though Mary is, as we've already talked about so many times, this young woman who is not even married yet, but God is going to somehow bless the nation through this child that Mary's bringing out of wedlock. And it's going to be incredible. But also, I think it points to something else. If you've ever um, read through the Bible, you'll notice that there's this common statement that God uses to refer to the nation of Israel. Um, his servant Israel, my servant Israel will do this or this. And I think that what Mary's getting out here is bigger than also herself. Uh, that she's talking about now that God has looked at the humble state of Israel and is going to do something incredible, that he's going to bless them, that he's bringing this thing. And Mary praises God for it. Um, We've seen throughout history that Israel's been destroyed over and over again. There's been this new ruler over and over them, and God continues to save them from whatever kingdom comes, whether it's Babylon or Egypt or the Assyrians. God continues to bring salvation to them through different people, and God's going to do it again here. And so we see um, that Mary praises because she's blessed, uh, but Mary praises because he has blessed the humble, the broken, the lowly people of Israel. That over the time and time again, Israel has failed God and they've come to him in this low state. And we see that he, um, she proceeds to praise God that he is for the humble, the lowly, the weak. And there's these examples of this throughout this, that God has done this throughout history, but that he's going to do it again through this, baby, through this baby. And this is where it comes in for us. This is where this praise comes for us. That we see that, um, that Mary... Pre- Man... Um, <laughs> We see these examples um, through it, that Mary praises God um, because um, for he's done mighty things, he has done great things for me and his name is holy and he has mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate and he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away. And this whole idea here that God is going to take down these rulers off their thrones and he's going to raise up this person of humble estate. Um, that if you've ever read the, look, the book of Luke, um, you see that Jesus is constantly getting after these Pharisees. If you know who the Pharisees are, these, these, they're these guys who think they've got it all figured out. Um, they follow the law, they do all these things, but Jesus keeps coming to them again and again saying, no, you really don't get it. And we see that he's always talking about these low people, these slaves, these lepers, these women in ways of, of positive meaning. 
that God is going to bless these people, that he's looked upon these humble people and he's going to bless them. That though these are no ones, though these are people who are so weak and so broken, he's come for them. And I think this is incredible for us in this holiday season. Um, as we look at Mary's praises, she praises God because he is so good that he hasn't forgotten them, that he hasn't forgotten Israel, even though they're so weak. I think this is where this comes into us for us today. As we look, this is the invitation for us today is to praise God like Mary, that though she acknowledges that she is no one, that she is so weak, that she really has no play here with God, that God has decided to bless her. And that's the same call for us today. Um, as we look um, to our own lives, I think it's incredible that we get to look upon this Christmas season um, and see that it, we sometimes get caught up. It's like, yeah, it's great that Jesus is coming and all this stuff, but we really forget that where we stand before God, um, that we're so broken, we're so needy, and I think that's where this praise becomes real. When I reflect upon my life and I think about when praise became real for me, it was when I was so broken and I got to come before God and say, you know what, like, I, I am no one. I am, I am in great need. I do need you, God. And that's when the praise becomes real. And I want to invite you into that this holiday season as we get a look at this, as we get to praise God uh, through this worship service, through this Sunday, and as we get to finally do that Christmas Eve service and Christmas Day and Sunday service next week, I want to invite you into that, um, to praise God um, through that brokenness in our heart, then we get to see that he has finally sent that savior. And I'm gonna pray. Um, Father God, uh, you are so good to us. Um, thank you so much for this season, um, that you are sending this son, that you're sending this child, Lord. Um, that you have looked upon us and you have said, I, um, that you are so good. And I praise you for that, God. I praise you for the great work that you are doing um, for this holiday season, that you continue to be with us, that we continue to reflect and look upon your face, Lord. And we're so grateful for the opportunity. I pray that you just continue to guide and protect us as we leave this place, Lord. In your name, amen.